peace and blessings. The Black Coffee Podcast. The Black Coffee Podcast. The Black Coffee Podcast. Yeah. The Black Coffee Podcast. Ah. So cool you did this one, man. Yeah. Black cup. Black cup. Huh. Um, power to the people. Here we beat my fist. Twice the ball of what they call him. James Allen, Mr. No Assist. Elevate the masses. Step in my objective. No, no quiz. Through the pot, let's take a sip. They taking shots, we taking trips. Pilot vision, you and I a mission just to be specific. Got enough soul to not fly spirit. Got enough soul to keep y'all lifted. Follow my role and keep it spiritual. This be the ritual. Black my coffee, hold the cream. I check one, two, eight. Here we go. This is that windows down low. Turn me up. It don't matter what we talking, just as long as it's black coffee. Yeah. This is that windows down low. Turn me up. It don't matter what we talking, just as long as it's black coffee. Uh. This be that black coffee podcast, black coffee podcast, black coffee. Hey, hold the cream. This be that black coffee podcast, black coffee podcast, black coffee. Hey, hold the cream. Yeah. You and I, a world. Welcome to the Black Coffee Podcast. I am your host, James Allen. James Allen. The Black Coffee Podcast. Your safe haven for education and spiritual liberation. Hashtag powers to the people. And long, and long live the ancestors. Hey, hold the cream. Hey, hold the cream. On the Black Coffee Podcast. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that. So cool. Thank you for that. So cool. All right, I bring peace and blessings to listeners all over the world. Thank you for tuning to the Black Coffee Podcast. You could have been doing anything else with your time right now. But you're here with me, and I just want you to know that I greatly appreciate that. Today's episode is brought to you by Swagology Clothing. The Swagology brand is designed to inspire you to connect with your true self and inspire others to take care of their own mental health. So be your true self and swag out with us at Swagology Clothing. And that's at swagologyclothing.com. All right, so cool. When I first had this podcast in mind, I had black on black crime scenarios um, in play, let's say. Then the Memphis Five situation occurred. So I chose to pivot my focus a little bit. So, with that being said, um, ladies and gentlemen, today I'm going to bring Dr. Kareem Paranda on a Black Coffee, po- on a black coffee podcast. Excuse me. And he's going to come. He's actually a former police officer. We went to college together at Livingstone College where he graduated my freshman year. And um, I think it was my freshman year. And he's going to come on. He was a police officer. Now he's a counselor. He's a counselor. He has his PhD now. He's doing very well. So we're going to bring him on because he's going to give us more insight on the minds of those police officers. And that's where we're going with this. It's easy for us to just say, you know, F police officers But now I wanted to take a different approach With this one so cool I want to tap into the minds Of the police officers And with that being said So cool Good day sir Let's work Episode 28 Black crime Now like I said I'm going to start off the first segment With good cop, bad cop And then I'm going to bring in Kareem Excuse me, Dr. Kareem Miranda, and we're going to just talk a little bit about his situation, his journey, and how it ties in with the situation going on with the Memphis Police 
five, what I like to call. Now, obviously, the big story of what we're talking about is the death of Tyree Nichols. Following the traffic stop on January 7th, Tyree Nichols, a 29-year-old black man, was assaulted and brutally uh, he was well. He was actually beaten, brutally beaten. I was going to say murdered um, by five black officers of the Memphis Police Department in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And since then, so cool, the police officers have pleaded not guilty, which makes this case all the way more interesting. Uh, Tyree was hospitalized and he was in critical condition, and he passed away. Three days later So I do I will like to say First and foremost I want to give my condolences To his family And everybody That is uh, Around the situation Really sad And we're going to break it down To his final parts today Now obviously I am disappointed in this one So cool More than anyone Because The black man Was killed At the hands of a police officer Of course but this one hit a little different. And why they hit different? Because there were five black officers. Now, here's the funny thing when I did my research so cool. Subsequently, four of the officers were previously given written reprimands for failing to file response to resistance forms. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of that before. Response to resistance. Excuse me. Uh, what is that? Response to resistance. Yeah, response to resistance form. And the others were suspended for failure to report they used physicality and failure to report alleged domestic violence or for damaging their police car. So one of the officers involved in the Memphis Five police case actually damaged their vehicle and he didn't report it. So they were... I guess I guess the situation was swept under the rug, sort of say. Okay. Now, here's the thing, so cool. And everybody wonders why or how police officers get off. How they don't get the punishment that they feel they that they deserve. And people don't understand when it comes to the idea of quality, excuse me, qualified immunity. It's qualified immunity. And qualified immunity allows states and local officials to avoid personal consequences related to their professional interactions unless they violate clearly an established law. Now, this has been repeatedly used for by police officers to escape accountability for civil civil liability on engaging in violent, uh, abusive situations. Now, this I, I, upon research, this has been a thing even after slavery time. Okay, the African American victims of racial terrorism. Congress passed in eighteen seventy one, which was actually no, which is what is actually known as the Ku Klux Klan Act. Yeah, the Ku Klux Klan Act. But it was passed to, the, it was laws uh, uh, passed, and these laws were passed to basically provide a private right of action for individuals who constitutionally um, rights have been violated by police officers and other state local officers. So basically, if you get sued for doing something bad to a black person, you can get off because in the eyes of the law, 
you're granted immunity, you're qualified for immunity because of your job. And and that's one of the things we're going to talk about when it comes to your job, okay? How hard is it to be a police officer? Hmm. How, how hard is it to be a police officer? That's one of the things we're going to talk about. What, what are one of the things that make you happy on your job or make you want to come to your job and be successful? Well, money plays a lot in that. Now, I'm going to bring this up. It is unconfirmed. I don't know how true it is, but this is this is what is a rumor. Is a rumor is that Tyree Nichols was allegedly dating one of the officer's wife or girlfriend. And there was, you know, had something tangled up in the middle of that. And that was the reason why this act was perpetuated. Now, I will say this. If that is the case, that's where ego comes in and we're going to talk with me and me and um, Kareem, well, Dr. Kareem, excuse me. I, I, it's hard to keep saying uh, Kareem without saying Dr. Kareem because, you know, I know him as Kareem, but he's, he has his doctor. And he's coming up shortly. But that's one of the things we're going to talk about is ego. Because when ego gets comes into play with anything, especially when a woman and a man, you know, that's going to head to that's 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 going to head to down down a steep road of something not really really good. Okay, now here's the thing: more people have been killed in two in 2022 than any other year in the past decade by cops. Excuse me, more people has been killed in 2022 last year than any other year in the past decade. That's alarming. Another thing I found, we've had, I have found that more than half of deaths due to police brutality or violence were estimated in U.S. from 1980 to 2018 were unreported. Were unreported. So with all this, it's easy for us to just go ahead and say, eh, F the police. And it's easy for us to say that, you know, F the police. Bump the police. Well, yeah, no. And that's the reason why, that was one of the reasons why I, I pivot and invited Dr. Parando on this podcast because he was a former law enforcer. And now he is, um, he does actually does a lot of things. Okay, but he's going to talk about more what he does. Okay, now I talked about money real quick before we bring on Dr. Kareem Paranda. I talked about money and so cool. Do you know that the highest paying, and it is not federal office, this is just local police office, the highest paying um, jobs are in California, which is uh, $105,000 a year. And then you have Alaska. I guess this is the reason why. I guess nobody wants to be over there. It's pretty cold. Their average salary is $87,000. And in New Jersey, my home state, the salary is $86,000. This is average. And this is to be a local police officer. Okay? $86,000. Now, your lowest so cool. The lowest, which I, depending on how you look at, I feel like it's crazy. We the reason why I feel like it's crazy is because 
looking at the southern region, there are more black people in the southern region than any other region in America. That is a fact. Okay. So Mississippi, police officer average, officer salary average, $36,000 a year. In Arkansas, you have $40,000 a year. Louisiana, average police officer salary, $42,000 a year. South Carolina, $43,000. Where I'm going with this, ladies and gentlemen, and I really want you to sit back and listen to this. And I'm not no cop. I'm not, I've never been in law enforcement. I'm just not. Is your life worth $40,000 a year? $36,000 a year. South Carolina, forty-three. Is Is your life worth that? And the reason why I say that, when you think about a cop, when you think about what they got to go through, and again, I'm not taking up for them. Again, like I said, this podcast, we're going into the minds of the police officer. Okay? So you look at $43,000 a year. You think how much money you make. You think about your life on the line. And you think about your job right now, whatever you do. And you may say, I don't get paid enough for this. I don't make enough money for this. I'm not going through this. So it kind of puts you in the mind of what's, you know, what's that? When, you come, when it comes to crooked cops, so cool. You talk about a cop, if, if uh, you pull me over and you take something out the car and you do something else with it or, you know, why are they doing that? Now, of course, this doesn't have anything to do with money, the situation we're talking about now. But I just... You, when you think about and I and I don't think that Tyree posed a threat to these cops, but these are the things that cops are going to say. So, well, police reform. Yeah, we, we we all like love or would love police reform. I would like to see some type of police reform as well. Um, from what I've been hearing, from what I've been seeing, you know, I'm seeing a body cam. Body camera has to be on. That's one of the you know one of the things. It was something else. And I have to in, in in the bill that's being proposed that I it hasn't crossed my mind. Majority of it is is you know it's pretty fair. But here's where I don't want us to go. And I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to bring in um, Dr. Kareem Peranda right now. And this is what I don't want us as black people. I don't want us to walk around saying we don't need police. No. We, we, we. One thing we have to understand that they are human too. Well, I guess I'm saying this because black police officers just got in trouble, but they are human. But at the same time, we can't be walking around saying that we don't need police. That's going to start a whole hill of beans that we don't want. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when things go down inside our neighborhoods and we have no one to call to come, uh, you know, dismantle that disruption, then we're going to be like, okay, well, nobody's helping us. Okay? We don't, we, I don't want to get down that. But at the same time, I do want to understand the mindset of cops. And that's why I'm going to bring on one who was a former police officer and now he's actually a therapist and a counselor. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, we will welcome Dr. Kareem Perana to the show, that and more. So keep it locked to the Black Coffee Podcast, and I'm your host, James Allen. James Allen. James Allen. James Allen. James Allen. 
right, welcome back, welcome back to the Black Coffee Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, James Allen. All right, as promised, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Dr. Kareem Paranda. Let's go ahead and give up Dr. Kareem Paranda a round of applause. All right, Dr. Kareem Paranda. Welcome, welcome to the Black Coffee Podcast, Doc. How's it going? Good. Good to be here, man. Things are going well. I cannot complain. Oh, man, man. Thanks for hearing. All right. Uh, so um, just go ahead and tell the Black Coffee Podcast just a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So I'm a native of Bronx, New York. Uh, what I currently do for a living is, you know, I like to metaphorically describe it as I help caterpillars become butterflies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I help people through a change process to uh, help manage their life uh, on life terms Got as a therapist. Gotcha, gotcha. Now you grew up in the Bronx, you say, right? Yes. Tell me how was how was life in the Bronx? Cause I think I think you're a little older than me, so I'm I'm an '80s baby, so you probably right there. I'm just guessing, probably right at the end of the '70s, probably '80s baby as well too. I don't know. I, I know you went to college. Before. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> I grew up in the Bronx during the '80s and the '90s. It wasn't so delicate. It wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely can say looking back on it. You know, I lived in survival mode the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either, you know, you predator or prey mm-hmm. type of mentality. And, um, you know, we didn't grow up with money. We grew up broke. You know, poverty, wherever you got high poverty, you got high crime. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you got to walk around that neighborhood to make sure that you don't get caught lacking. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had, a, I had a mindset of, you know, I'm going to get you before you get me mm-hmm. at the end of the day when it comes to, um, you know, moving through a certain environment in the Bronx. Okay, cool. Now I know I follow your son, you know, because uh, you know, your son and my daughter's around the same age, and I know he was playing ball at uh Independence, and um, mm-hmm. doing really good. Now, did did you ever play sports? Did you play any sports when you was growing up? Yeah, I played football. I did a little bit of wrestling, uh, football, and track. Football and track. Okay, cool. Now, so you go to Livingstone College. You went to Livingstone College. Graduated from Livingstone College. Uh, a fellow alumni. Uh, so how did that all kind of play? How did that all come about? How did you get to Livingstone College? Yeah, man. Um, Rudy Abrams was the coach at that particular time, and they were uh, Livingstone was just coming off of their first championship um, mm-hmm. with um, the great Wilmot Perry in that mm-hmm. I think '97 or '98 team. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know Wilmot had graduated, and it was an opportunity for me, man, where I sent my tape, and Rudy liked what he saw, and I, they offered me a partial scholarship to come play ball. Oh, yeah. And that's how I ended up down south. Man, Rudy. Now, I think they I want to say they won two tram championships. Uh, one of them was. Yeah, I was on that second team, right? On second. Well, so DeAndre Hopper was on that second team, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outstanding quarterback, man. Yeah, okay, cool. Omega Sci Fi. You know, I usually, you know, I'm a, I am a five beta, member of Five Base Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead. And, I said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and pass this part, man. But uh, Omega Sci Fi, how did that all come about, man? Yeah, man, you know, just, you know, being able to identify, you know, I didn't know anything about Greek life until I came down south. I was, um, you know, concrete jungle, you know, where trees and grass grow in the shade. You you don't really know much about all that other stuff, man. But um, I learned about fraternity life uh, from from some of my teammates, man. And that's how, you know, I I became interested in my research and, you know, sought, sought opportunities to join. Yeah, I was. Uh, I didn't know too much about fraternities. Actually, only by only person in my family that was actually a part of fraternity was my cousin, and he was actually a member of. Uh, oh, he's an Omega, but you know, like you said, I was a first generation in my my um, immediate family, so I kind of went the same way. That uh, you think your son go um, do Omega? I th- I want to say he's at Winston, if I'm not mistaken. 
I don't, I don't know what he gonna do, but now nah, he's actually at, at the stone. He's at the stone right now. Oh what? But I don't, I don't know what he. Yeah, I don't know what he gonna do, man. Whatever he does, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I encourage him to go with his gut and you know make a decision that's gonna work for him and his life at the end of the day, man. Because I ain't trying to, you know, hold nobody hostage to anything. But you know, he wouldn't be wrong. To following his daddy's footsteps. That's all I got. Hey, I said the same thing. You know, my son just actually, <laughs> he actually just graduated from Livingstone. He was actually, he's the, he, he did Sigma. And I said the same thing. I was like, you know, it ain't going to matter. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me, before, before we move on, before we move on, let me ask you this person a question. If he was to do something else, would you support it? Yeah, it'd be hard to say, man. I mean, straight up, because I'm, I'm going to tell you off the rip, right? Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, think about it, right? Yo, I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, each organization got their own flow and how they do things. And, like, you know, I ain't got no passion for nobody else joint, you know, and, and it's like a legacy thing where, like, you know, I would love to hand off a lot of this stuff to you, you know, but if you if you don't pivot and go to another route, which I ain't going you know, to hold you to, you know, at the end of the day, you got to find out what works for your heart and your soul and whatever you feel most comfortable with. But, you know, I got this stuff here that I can definitely give you if you you choose choose, in my opinion, right. That's right, what I'm gonna say. Right, right, I ain't yeah, 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 I ain't got yeah. no smoke for no other organization because at the end of the day, it's like religion. You know, everybody got to find their own lane yeah. that works for them, and I ain't mad at it. Right. One thing I have found out, um, Doc, is um, being in the professional world when you're in one is like after college it's like all, and it's not like you're all in one at the same time but I can't explain it it's like you know we you know we joke around at, at my school you know with the alphas and you know but it's at the end of the day it's like it's it, how can I explain it you're in a fraternity and especially if you're made in a fraternity it's like we kind of went through the same thing so it's kind of we kind of understand each other so it's like it's really a big family when it comes to Greek life period as well but uh so you graduate with the uh, a degree in I'm guessing criminal justice. I really don't know. Yeah, that's correct. I graduated top of the class in criminal justice uh, back in uh, 02. 02. 02, which was my I want to say that was my freshman year. Okay, that was my freshman year. All right, so you graduate with the uh, man. We're going to take a break right after this, but you graduate with a degree in criminal justice. What was your transition? What was your mindset as graduation was approaching? Um, didn't really know what to do, man. I was, you know, again, I was uh, in, in my household, just me and my mother. I was raised by a single parent. And, you know, mm-hmm. being a, a graduate of um, a college, a four-year institution, was like something that wasn't common mm-hmm. in, in my family's lineage, right? So... Um, not really knowing how to really plot and plan, you know, for future uh, goals or future um, ideas of things that I wanted to do. I had three options that I knew I was in, I was interested in. I was interested in social work, teaching, or law enforcement. And all of these were based upon the professors that I had at Livingstone. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, uh, a sociology professor that was mad cool. Mm-hmm. I had, um, you know, just fell in love with the notion of teaching because I loved working with kids. Um, but then, you know, law enforcement, you know, we, I had a professor who was the chief of police at the time in Salisbury, uh, who was mad cool. And he was my first representation of, of a black male in a, a leadership position that I had close access to. Mm-hmm. And I was thoroughly impressed with him. And so, you know, law enforcement became something to consider, even though it wasn't on my radar. But when it mm-hmm. became a part of my radar, I did what I had to do to become a police officer. 
So let's talk about that. You become a police officer. That's the that's the meat and potatoes of basically um, your story. I can say that. Um, and, and, and all you have accomplished and, and kind of why we on this podcast today. So you become a police officer. I'm not going to ask how that come about, but that transitioning from school, for, for people who don't know, who don't understand, because I'm not a police officer, that transitioning in your mind from going from, let's just say, uh, lack of a better term right now, a regular person to a police officer, that yeah. mind frame, what, what, what is that like? And, and and how was that for for you? Yeah. So you know, you know, one thing about the, you know words, right? It's really important that you know we define what, what 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 words mean. Like, so regular person is really subjective, right? Because that could be anything, right? You know, yes, my, sir. my definition of regular person may not be the same as your definition of regular person, because you know people have a tendency to normalize weird stuff and, and call it their regular. Mm, yeah, right? That's true. That's true. That's true. That's what I like about, term. I shouldn't use that term anyways. Like, you no, know, it's fine. You know, but, but I'm saying like, even like with like ego, right? An ego is something that, you know, I had my entire time growing up, even when I was at the stone. And when I say ego, I'm not talking about an ego from the lens of, yo, I'm better than you or like, yo, you know, I'm, I'm like above you. But it was an ego that was designed or manufactured for the sake of defense mechanisms that would address vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in the way that I grew up, you know, you couldn't really be yourself. So, you know, what is regular exactly, right? Other than the norm in your environment. If you got danger in your environment, then that becomes your norm. And if you're walking around in survival mode, then that's your norm. And it doesn't mean that the norm is right, but it just means that it works for while you're in that jungle experience. And so, you know, I say all of this, I preface it, or I lay this as a foundation for how I made my decision regarding becoming a police officer. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always been in survival mode and law enforcement was just like the perfect fit because, yo, you deal with dangerous stuff, you deal with unpredictable stuff the same way I did when I was growing up around Eastchester Projects in New York. So it was like, it was, it was familiar to me. So the transition from being a civilian, if you will, to becoming a police officer was no different from the way I walked around in my neighborhood. I wasn't who I truly was. Mm. I was operating according to an ego and the, the law enforcement uniform in retrospect was nothing more than another outfit or another another mask, another thing that I was using to assist me in masking my vulnerabilities. And the vulnerabilities I'm talking about are vulnerabilities associated with self-worth and value. For me, some people put on a uniform because it's a legacy thing. They cop, they, they, they pops or their uncles or their grandfather or somebody in their family was a, a, a police officer. Some people doing it because they got to pay bills. Some people do it for power and control. I did it because like it was, for me, another a checklist of things that would bring me a sense of worth and value. In the hood, if you broke, you might go and get you know Louis or, or Gucci to sort of kind of make up for whatever worth deficit you got. And by getting these materialistic things, you know, you feel like you got worth. For me, it was about accolades and accomplishments and, and stuff like that, that I used to go after. That's what my ego was really big on. And so I wasn't myself. I was, that, that's what I was, my manufactured self. I wasn't the authentic version of me. I was the created version of me that I felt was going to keep me safe in whatever environments I had to go in. Did you ever view yourself as a hero as your time during your 
time as a law enforcer? As a hero, even that's subjective. I, I wouldn't say that I was a, a hero. I would say that I was a problem solver. Mm-hmm. I was a problem. I was a person that addressed issues that were problems for other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for lack of a better term, like, you know, if we get calls about people shooting and doing stupid stuff on the corners of their block and making it, you know, inconvenient for old people or even kids that are trying to get to school to get there safely and comfortably. I was the dude to go address that mm-hmm. to make sure that young people had a quality of life that they were entitled to. If they lived in the block, they should have a quality of life without gunshots and drug drug dealing and stuff that compromised the uh, quality of life that some of those people wanted to enjoy. So in that context of them people, I might have been a hero. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's why I asked that. I consider myself a hero as a teacher. Now, I know a lot of people that went into law enforcement and they left because, and I hear the passion in your voice, that's why I'm not saying this, but they left because they felt like they was just another vessel of the system, basically. Basically, you just you just operating in a system that, you, and you, like you just said, you're really not yourself. But at the same time, I, I would view a good black cop as a hero. I will. I would. And that reason why I say that is because we can look at things for so bad. I got into education because there wasn't enough black teachers in my eyes to even help me mm-hmm. get to what I need to get. So if we complain about white cops, well, why not have a good black cop to to uh to 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 model what you want that to look like? And I think that's that's where I'm getting when it comes to a lot of these things. Yeah. But uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're gonna take a break. Uh, coming up on the other side, Dr. Kareem Paranda actually locked me up, ladies and gentlemen. And don't get any thoughts. It was just for a little petty traffic ticket, okay? It wasn't much. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to get his thoughts on uh, on um, um, the Memphis situation and some other things, okay? That and more coming up on the Black Coffee Podcast. And I am your host, James Allen. James Allen. James Allen. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Black Coffee Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, James, James Allen. Allen. All right, like I said. All right, so <laughs> it was about my um, and I'm, it's great that I can actually laugh about this, and we can actually laugh about this. And that's one thing that brought this whole podcast full circle. So cool. When I first heard about the Memphis situation, and I'm looking at these cameras, and, and you know, and I'm like, okay, this has come full circle. I I, I felt this where the and then boom. Well, I didn't know he was a doctor at the time. You don't really, I'm not going to say you don't really, I've only seen it written one place. It's not everywhere. Um, So I realized he became a doctor and I said, I got to get this guy on the Black Office podcast. But anyways, so cool. So I think it was my sophomore year. I got a ticket and I remember what it was. I didn't have license. I left my um, high school and I had some. I had a. I had a ticket, and I didn't pay it. And I messed around. And got caught driving up here. And you know, at the time, I remember I was in the. Uh, I was at Clancy Hills, in an officer parent at the time. He, I remember you asked me. You said, uh, "Do you have anything to do today?" <laughs> and right then, I knew. I said, you <laughs> said, I said, I'll never forget it, man. You look me dead. Right? You said, do you have anything to do today? And I look and I said, I, that's it. I said, I know it. That Go ahead and get my flip-flops out. Because <laughs> I said, so. And I said, no. And then, you know, you would, at, the, at the time, 
I felt like you was just doing your job. But I say about what? Let me see. That was in 02. I want to say maybe 15 years later, which was not too long ago, right before I moved to Atlanta, I saw I saw what you was doing. And, and you remember, you was actually a speaker at an event somewhere in Charlotte. And I went there and then we talked. And, you know, and you just, you, you know, you said everything like, look, you know what I mean? You know how you overcame me. I don't want, I, I'm going to let you say what you had, what you said. But um, I think it just full, come full circle. And um, so that, I just think that, so, you know, now I'm going to be honest. At the time, people was like, yo, Kareem locking people up. What's good? So I'm going to let you, mm. you know, justify yourself about that because that, and the reason why we're going with that, because that ties into what we're talking about of the before social media era. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting, right? Because, you know, earlier you talked about, you know, a good cop, right? What constitutes a good cop? And most people in the black community would say that a good black cop would be one that would turn the other way or turn the other cheek and not look at people when they do something wrong. And one of the things I've noticed, man, even at the end of my law enforcement career, I was a school resource officer, right? And I noticed that the kids, that the teachers would give a pass to whenever they did something wrong that was suspendable or something that could put them in ISS or referral referral worthy, those kids ended up growing up to become criminals who broke the law. Mm. And so the theory was if you break rules, you'll break the law. And um, so, so those teachers who let them and gave them a pass were considered cool teachers and then but at the end of the day the lessons were never learned and then these individuals went out there and then they did stuff that they thought they could get away with it because they were never taught the lesson of being held accountable so now you come to the situation where um when i put on this uniform right Mm -hmm. you go through a, a a hiring process where they ask you these questions and these one question was if you saw your mother drunk driving Right, she was going across the yellow lines or whatever it might be, and you pulled over, she's drunk. Would you arrest her? They ask you this question in the old board examination. You know what your answer better be? It better be yes. Mm. Because at the end of the day, this job is requiring you to enforce the law. That's your job, right? And granted, there is there is a level of discretion one will have when it comes to arresting powers and whatnot. But if there's a warrant, if there's a, a, a violation, a clear violation, you have an obligation and a duty to do your job. And to not do it would be deemed unethical or lacking integrity in your position in that office. And and the, another, another question was, um, if there was a 12-year-old, you pull up on the scene as a 12-year-old with a gun, and you, know, uh, you get the call, and this 12-year-old is not listening to commands, what would you do? Well, your answer better be. These are the type of questions in, in interviews. They ask you. Yeah, absolutely. In the oral board interviews. Wow. Your answer better be aligned with how you've been trained to address a particular threat. Wow. You don't have to wait for someone to point a gun at you to take action to disable that threat. And this is where I think many people get it twisted. Like you can shoot the gun out of their hands or whatever it might be. And so I, I say all of this to say that That's good the stuff. conditioning of the academy, the conditioning of the uh, the hiring process, all of it conditions that individual to put objectives above emotions. And so when, you know, I saw you that day, right? And, you know, in that moment, again, operating in ego, I got a job to do, and operating in the context of objectives over emotions, it wasn't about, yo, this is my people's from Livingstone. Again, the, the empathy went out the window 
when I got into the, when I got into that particular field. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things that seemed non-negotiable. This is why they say officers seem robotic and, and like, you know, like they don't have no heart or whatever it might be it's because there's an emotional detachment to doing the job. You know, you see dead bodies, you see decapitations, you see um, botched suicides or messy suicides where people shot themselves. And, you, you know, these images stick with you. And if you have emotions involved, it will render you incapable of rem- uh, remaining fit for duty to do the job. So you learn how to emotionally detach. It's not a healthy thing to do, but it's what you got to do in order to survive the career. Mm-hmm. And I was in that mode when when I came across you and many and several others. Yeah, and it, well, I, I, I heard. Well, I, I took it personal, but then yeah. after after I heard that, it wasn't just me. Okay, I like okay, he doing his job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I promise you, it was nothing personal at all. It was nothing at the time. It was nothing personal. It was just it was just for me at the moment in my ego in that time in that time frame. It was just business. Yeah, it was just business. Like yo, you got a warrant. I ain't I ain't get the warrant. I ain't help you get that warrant. Right. I just know that it's, it's something that I got to enforce. So to your point earlier, it was like, yeah, I was just doing my job, but I totally get how, you know, you might've took it in, in, a, in a personal way. And even some of the other folks, cause even when I look back on it today, I'm like, yo, on some real, on some realness, I was, I was a butthole. I didn't have to be that way, but I didn't get that understanding until I sat in a jail cell myself mm. when, when, when this thing came and, and, and the system came after me for what I thought I was doing was my job. And so it was like, yo, it was weird to me, but then, I remember sitting in the jail cell thinking like, yo, I regretted every 500 and some odd arrests I had made in my career. I regretted every last one of them. Because now I understood what that felt like. You just and again, remember, to- I was going... No, go ahead. No, no, no. Remember, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's about you. Go. No, I was saying, you know, remember what I said earlier, right? That, you know, the way my ego was set up, it was to accommodate the uh, low self-worth Mm-hmm. And the value that I didn't know how to create within me, I was using exterior accolades to make up for. And that's the stuff that was like really creating them low level uh, psychological challenges I was struggling with and silence in the profession that nobody knew about. You know, but again, this stuff predated law enforcement. This stuff was happening even when I was in my teenage years. And it just followed me in, but I didn't know it was abnormal. It was normal to me. So, like, yo allegiances and like alliances and all that you know, I ain't care nothing about none of that because at the end of the day it's like survival of the fittest in my mind it was a survival of the fittest and which is why I think ultimately at the end of my career it made it easy for my agency to throw me under the bus because I didn't have no alliances I was like dolo I was, I was by myself even though I had other officers I used to rock with I was really in this world by myself at the end of the day back then and you just alluded to it and it's the next thing I actually had on my um, bullet points to actually talk about it now. Before social media, now this was after the thing with me. You, I done graduated. I went on to graduate it in two thousand and six, and I went on to Virginia, and I was teaching up there. And I remember turning on the TV, and or you know, back then it was you know word of mouth and everything, and it was like, yo, 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 did you see um, Paranda? I'm like, what you talking about? So, and again, this is. I think social media was maybe right at the tip of it. Maybe MySpace was trying, <laughs> probably coming up uh, at the time. Wasn't nowhere near like this. And I turn on a TV screen and I see Officer Paranda and you had an altercation in a club, looks like setting, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. And yeah. you you strike the guy. Um, don't know what was said. 
And at the time, I'm going to be honest with you. Now, I'm not just saying this is because I'm here on you're on my podcast. I actually defended you. I, I actually did. I said you don't know what's going on or what he said or what's but you know because like I said, this predates social media. This predates everybody being a writer. Now something happens, everybody got a, a, a they got their own two cent to put into it, and and it's correct. So I actually defended you and I didn't know what actually happened, but I just remember you going through that and and, and, and seeing, and I think you alluded to it um, just a little bit, uh, a little earlier. So, you know, just tell the Black Coffee Podcast just, just a little bit about that because I'm pretty sure that is part of the mold of Dr. Paranda. Yeah, yeah, that's a fact, man. Yo, none of that could have happened. You know, Dr. Paranda could not have happened without all this stuff that, I had to go through as a police officer. In fact, that sort of kind of created a purpose for me now uh, in my life. But yeah, that was an, that was an incident. That was an extra duty, what we call extra duty assignment, where I was working security for a club with a bunch of um, individuals from different areas of town and different cities. And apparently, there were like several different rival gangs in there. And they all decided that they wanted to have a fight. Uh, about 10, 20 minutes left in the party, everybody started busting bottles and throwing chairs and doing what they do. And a lot of folks just became really drunk and belligerent and we had to go in there and do what we had to do. So that wasn't really a big thing. It definitely created some attention. It drew some attention because of the cell phones and all that jazz and people only recording and posting what they wanted to record and post. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't post and record all the, uh, the gang members and whoever else was fighting in there, mm-hmm. throwing punches and bottles and doing dirt like that. It just showed how we had to come in there and sort of kind of squash it and clean it up the way as best as we could. And then that sort of kind of led to an investigation about usage of excessive force and things like that. And that's what led to, you know, me eventually uh, leaving the profession in 2010. That incident actually happened in 2009. And um, 2010 is where I left the profession. (sighs) Bro, I know you probably don't want to hear this, man. But yo... I said, bro, that, that man must be on some type of weight trainer, bro. I'm trying to tell you, hey, man, you, <laughs> hey, bro, I always know you strong, man, but I said, oh, my God. God but anyways, but, um, so, 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 so you get out of, uh, of law enforcement and what, what, what's next, like, what is that about? What's next? I remember, I, I, and you know what? I actually remember seeing you in between that time. I actually remember, cause like I said, our kids around the same age, I remember seeing you at, um, yeah, we had an event like a, yeah, a sports was, event or something like that. Sports right? event, yeah. Like, so I want to say it was somewhere. Maybe mm. it might have been a skating ring. I think it was a skating ring somewhere like that. And I just remember you. I don't know what you was doing at the time, and I just remember seeing you. And you just, you know, you was in transition. You know what? You know, tell 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 the Black Coffee Podcast a little bit about that transition out of law enforcement, law law enforcement, excuse me, and into what you're kind of you know, started doing now, basically. Yeah. Yo, it was hard, man. I'm going to tell you, when I when I left law enforcement, man, I was unemployable. Nobody else would hire me because I had an investigation mm-hmm. going on with the feds and the state. And um, and then I had just had twins. The, my youngest two um, were just born, so I was a stay-at-home dad. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife went out to work, and I was a stay-at-home dad for them two years. I couldn't even get a job at the gas station or the, or the uh, supermarket. Cause I had a, um, I was, I, I was overqualified is what they told me because I had a, a master's degree mm-hmm. in public policy and administration. And my goal was to become a top cop, to become a chief somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't expect that this would have happened. Mm-hmm. And so when it did, it kind of really, it, it, it really, you know, took, it deflated me. 
it took the wind out of me and um it was really depressing it was really hard to um stay positive during that era of my life and then you know in 2012 i would say around christmas of 2012 two years after i left the profession that's when i got in, i got served with the indictments uh, for using excessive force mm-hmm. on some cases that wasn't even related to the club incident. And then I had to go to trial in 2013. I got I got arrested and booked uh, right after uh, the New Year's of 2013. And that's when I sat in a jail cell for about seven hours and I had that aha moment or the epiphany moment, if you will, on how my ego caused me to lose more than I gained. And it was at that moment where I started sort of kind of... Um, attempting to figure out how did I end up in that predicament. And that's when I started my transition into the clinical mental health field to learn more about the psychology I was operating in to figure out, you know, how did I become something other than what I intended to be? Because I wanted to be a good cop. I wanted to be uh, someone who contributed to this community. I wanted to be that hero you spoke about, but the ego was in the way. I just didn't know it until I was able to look back on it in retrospect to see how my ego got in the way of me being everything that I could have been. So let me ask you this. Do do you do you regret and I know no, I can't say do you regret becoming a cop. Do but if you had to t- if you, if you had to do it all over again, would you have done something else in college? And I'm actually I'm gonna tell you why I asked you that. You heard how you just said I want to be a top cop. Yeah. I myself, uh Dr. Paranda I have, I don't want to say gun hole, but I, I, I have put myself where, I, I ain't going to say I can't be, do nothing but be a teacher, but I went to school to be a teacher. My whole resume says a teacher. It'd be hard for me to change right now. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, you should have went to technology. You should have went this. You know, it, so it's a couple of things maybe I maybe could have, you know, went back and wish I would have did, but I don't because I like my life and I like what I do. But if you could have, you know, go back, would you have kind of, you know, branched off doing something else besides criminal justice just so you wouldn't have had that, you know, that, that, uh, that gun hold or that, you know, that, that, that main, that more, that one mind frame just to become a cop. Just, just curious. Mm. No, I wouldn't change anything. Right. Because I'm a firm believer. Like even like I work with people who suffer from addictions and usually people don't change until their beliefs betray them Mm -hmm. or they don't change until they have a rock bottom experience. When I sat in that jail cell and I went through everything I went through, that was my rock bottom experience that I needed to change. I don't think it could have happened any other way. I had warnings. I had hey, people telling me, hey, I think you should stop. I think you should pivot. I think you should do this. But I didn't listen to them. I needed that rock bottom experience, that valley of mm-hmm. death experience to bounce back from in order to figure out how I was messing up what God was wanting to use me for. So, like I said, you know, Dr. Paranda could not have existed without Officer Paranda. Mm. So everything Officer Paranda created is, is, is still the root system to what now Dr. Paranda is bringing forth uh, in, in, this, in this part of the journey. So, nah, I wouldn't change it. You know, they, you know there's other, other theory that if we knew what was going to happen, we'd mess it up. Mm. We'd find some way to mess it up. So, you know, things happen the way that they need to in order for God to get the glory later on down the road. And that's what we're doing. So no, I wouldn't change it. It happened the way it had to happen. You wrote a book and we get ready to talk about that book. And, uh, and, and um, 
and some other things you have done. But before that, I, I'm interested in getting your thoughts on the Memphis police case, the Memphis Five police case is what I call it. Now, for what I understand, they just pleaded not guilty, which is very interesting. It's going to make this very interesting. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I just want, you know, and, and the reason why I, I, I'm asking you, because, you know, this is the Black Coffee podcast and you, you know, you, you, you have the you, you free will to say anything, but it's different coming from someone who sees it full circle. You can you can attack this from both ends. So I'm just interested in, in your thoughts behind what you know when it comes to the Memphis Five police case. Yeah, from 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 observation, right? Because I don't know the culture of that agency or the culture of that neighborhood. But what I can tell you based upon what I saw, right? Um, number one, for me, it was triggering. Uh, because it reminded me of a time when, you know, I worked zero tolerance um, task forces. And matter of fact, the uh, the uh, the indictments that I received were a byproduct of a zero tolerance task force. Mm. Go figure. So, you know, they were on that same type of unit and um, where you just focus on high crime areas where there's high drug selling, high, a lot of gun crimes or a lot of um uh, violent crimes, you focus on that area to make sure that it doesn't get out of control, that, you know, you get ahead of the homicide rate and things like that. So you have that kind of proactive enforcement. And um, again, as I said earlier, man, where you have high poverty, you have high crime. And wherever you have high crime, you have over-policing in that particular area. And, you know, I'm a firm believer, and there's a lot of studies that show this, you cannot arrest people out of poverty. Mm-hmm. The system has to change the poverty in order to change the quality of life in the community where uh, over-policing will, will no longer be an issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where the system gets it wrong. Exactly. But this is how officers are conditioned to go in there and arrest people who are being problematic, not realizing that this is this is a social issue where these people have no resources, so how are they going to do better if they ain't got the right resources to do better, right? And so then it becomes a perpetuating problem. But what I saw with them officers was ego, I saw lack of supervision. I saw improper mentorship because that that is a culture within a culture. It's a subculture that only a small number of officers assume that they can that they can patrol and, and enforce the law in such a way that gives them some type of immunity because they're doing it all in the name of the law. And so you'll find where people will make some bogus, you know, if they ain't got probable cause, they try to like, you know, work people into a probable cause to uh, create a stop and then, you know, do justice however they see fit. And that's what I witnessed there. So it was kind of, it was messed up. Um, I don't believe that they intended to kill that brother, but it happened. I don't think so either. Because, because they, because they were operating according to an ego that made them feel like they could do that kind of stuff and get away with it which is all BS at the end of the day. That's not what the role was supposed to be intended for. And yeah, on top of it, his brother didn't even do nothing wrong, I don't think. So I, I don't get into I don't. I, I, I don't think they intended to kill him. I think they intended to hurt him really, really bad. Because what I understand, he died three days later in the hospital, for what I understand. Yeah. Correct. So I don't know if they intended to kill him. I know they intended to hurt him. But from what I've seen, you know, when it comes to the ego, from what I've heard, you know, one of the police officers, it, it was more behind him. And, uh, but I, I have to get the facts on that before I speak on that. But I just want to get your thoughts on that. I, I, I'll tell you this. And, and if that's true, right, if that aspect is true, 
I'm not surprised at what we saw. If that's true, because again, that's all ego based. Ego based, and when ooh, and when you mix ego with a female, telling you that's you a, more that is, game. man. That is a that is a, a that that is a design for a disaster when when you, when you add those two things. Okay, so it all came full yeah. circle, and I actually did read your book. I be honest, it was like what 2013, maybe. 14 No when when did you Read that book out 16? Nah I published it in 2017 17 2017 And I mm. read it after the event That we That I saw you at And yeah. it was really a good book Tell us A little bit about What was the process About how you You know When when did you say Okay I'm gonna write a book About this And then tell a little bit of uh, The Black Art Podcast A little bit about the book So they can actually uh, You know Read it and see it Right so You know the, the name of the book Is called Breaking Uh the Code of Silence, A Cop's Journey to Triumph and Truth. Mm-hmm. And the book was actually my journal that I was keeping them two years that I was unemployable. It was my therapy. It was my therapeutic process. And, you know, it was about, it, my journal itself was about 300 and some odd pages, but I extracted um, about 200 of those pages and turned it into the book. Mm-hmm. So the book was initially for me and my process as I was just going through my childhood and, you know, uh, how I became who I became. And so I turned it into a case study about me and my law enforcement career and what I believe I needed in order to be a much more successful cop than what I was. I didn't have the proper mentorship. I didn't have the proper guidance. And, you know, part of that was my ego got in the way of me allowing other people to be the mentor or to be the guide for me in the way that I probably would have benefited. And so, you know, the book is just a a 100% transparent look at, at who I am and who I was. And it was really vulnerable to release that stuff because we're talking about my journal here, right? Mm-hmm. Putting stuff that I wouldn't share with nobody else out there on Front Street about my family and about mm-hmm. things like that. And so it was, for me, uh, you know, frightening at first, but liberating mm-hmm. after the fear. After you go through something, it's like you learn something new about yourself. And for me, it was just, it just helped solidify my courage and being a mouthpiece for um, officers who are suffering in silence because that's what I did. Mm. I suffered in silence and I didn't know how to ask for help because of the ego at the end of the day. And so, yeah, so now, you know, it's a published book. I sell it on Amazon, mm. you know. Um, oh, it's on Amazon. Name, I, I didn't get it. I got it. I got it. I got it from your hand. Yeah, I had a copy with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's on Amazon now. Yes, it's on Amazon.com. Oh, okay, cool, cool. That that is amazing, man. Well, y'all make sure y'all go there, pick that up. Breaking the code of silence: a cop's journey to triumph and truth. Uh, Doctor Kareem Paranda, anything else you would like to leave the Black Coffee Podcast with? The floor is yours. Any advice? Any anything you want to leave him with? I would say this, man. Yeah, as a community, we have to develop. We have to break free from the conditioning that says that anybody that looks like us is the enemy. We got to break free of this uh, psychological conditioning that doesn't allow us to love each other, but it makes us easy. It makes it easier for us to hate each other before we love each other, or it makes it easier easier for us to distrust each other before we love each other. We got to get back to a uh, a community, a community or village concept where we take care of ourselves because at the end of the day. The system itself, many people might say it's not working, but you better believe the system is in place for a reason. And, and, and the reason it's in place is that it works for whoever is working it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about my situation that I learned, yeah, I might have left the force, but the system is still in place. 
So where you might have removed me as a person operating in the ego or if you felt like I didn't do my job, you know, right or whatever it might be, two, three, four other people might have been hired in my place that got the same vibe or the same same flow operating in the same system. So it's not about the people you got to change. It's the system that has to change and not enough advocacy is being done to challenge the system that's creating these conditions where you have some, not all, all cops are not bad. You got a lot of good ones out there, but you got some cops that take advantage of the, um, the, the system in a way to do corrupt things or undesirable things while rocking the uniform and then they get away with it. Sort of kind of like, you know, how do you get away with murder? Mm-hmm. And people find ways to make it happen while operating in the uniform. I've seen a lot of cases where people didn't have to use that force or they didn't have to kill that person, but they were doing their job and they were in fear of their life and all these other factors that they're able to articulate to allow them to get away with murder. Not saying that every shooting is unjustified or every use of force is unjustified, but there are people who, in fact, um, do stuff because uh, it's it's legal, but it may have some moral questionability. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if that's all. That's all for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the Black Coffee Podcast, and I'm your host, James Al. James Al. James Al. James Al. James Al. James Al. Peace and blessings. The Black Coffee Podcast. The Black Coffee Podcast. The Black Coffee Podcast. Yeah. The Black Coffee Podcast. Ah. Ooh, ooh, that's so cool. Ooh, ooh, that's so cool. So cool, you did this one, man. Yeah. Black Coffee. Black cup, huh? Um, power to the people. people. Here we beat my fist. Twice the ball of what they call him. James Allen, Mr. No Assist. Elevate the masses. Step in my objective. No, no quit. Through the pot, let's take a sip. They taking shots, we taking trips. Pilot vision, you and I a mission just to be specific. Got enough soul to not fly spirit. Got enough soul to keep y'all lifted. Follow my role and keep it spiritual. This be the ritual. Black my coffee, hold the cream. I check one, two, eight. Here we go. This is that windows down low, turn me up It don't matter what we talking, just as long as it's black coffee, yeah This is that windows down low, turn me up It don't matter what we talking, just as long as it's black coffee, uh This be that black coffee podcast, black coffee podcast, black coffee Hey, hold the cream This be that black coffee podcast, black coffee podcast, black coffee Hey, hold the cream, yeah You and I a world Welcome to the Black Coffee Podcast. I am your host, James Allen. James Allen. The Black Coffee Podcast. Your safe haven for education and spiritual liberation. Hashtag power to the people. And long, and long live the ancestors. Hey, hold a cream. Hey, hold a cream.